Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Felicity Knights, who is a GP Academic Clinical Fellow at the Migrant Health Research Group, Institute for Infection and Immunity at St. George's University of London. And the paper is Impact of COVID-19 on Migrants' Access to Primary Care and Implications for Vaccine Rollout, a National Qualitative Study. So we know that there are already major disparities in the way that migrants access primary care. And there's no doubt that the pandemic has had an impact on that. I started by asking Felicity to tell us a little bit more about that background to some of those disparities and how migrants are affected already before we even get to COVID. Yeah, well, I think it's fair to say that we've known for quite a lot of years now there's some well-documented barriers for migrants. Um, These include things like confusion around the NHS system and how to navigate it, language difficulties um, and also discrimination. Um, And I think it's important to be aware that there are some specific barriers for some groups of migrant patients as well. So with the change in policies in 2012, creating what's known as the hostile environment where patients are being charged for some healthcare um, if they have certain immigration statuses. Um, And I think all of those things together do create a backdrop of of some real barriers for migrant patients. Um, Unfortunately, we do also know that when patients actually access primary care themselves, it's not necessarily well tailored or or targeted for migrant patients. We know that they suffer disproportionate um, amounts of infectious diseases and and sometimes are under-immunised. And certainly I see clinically as a GP that uh, we do have so many competing priorities and time pressures that a lot of clinicians are not aware of the specific needs of migrants for screening for infectious disease. And there isn't a systematic approach to implementing these often. So I think it's this kind of backdrop to which the pandemic has really highlighted uh, some of the shortfalls of our system. Um, And actually at the Migrant Health Research Group in George's, we did publish a recent systematic review that shows disproportionate uh, COVID-19 impacts on migrant uh, patients across um, Europe. So increased hospitalisations as well as cases and deaths. Um, And even before our study, there was also some emerging literature from organisations like Doctors of the World suggesting that the COVID pandemic was making things worse for migrants in terms of access to primary care. But our study was really the first looking at this in detail. Yeah, so it's a difficult, as you say, a hostile environment um, Mm. and a lot of challenges for migrants at the best of times. And COVID has introduced some additional complexities uh, around that. So tell us a little bit about what you did in your study. Yeah, so it was a qualitative study. Um, We did a series of in-depth interviews um, for both healthcare professionals, but also migrants themselves um, in three phases. So the first phase was looking at the views of clinical staff, so GPs, practice nurses, healthcare assistants. The second, uh, administrative staff, practice managers, receptionists, etc. And then thirdly, importantly, the views of the migrant patients themselves, the majority of whom were asylum seekers. Um, And that was a total of 64 professionals and 17 migrant patients. Um, And I think importantly, we did sample across England and a range of different settings. So rural, suburban, urban, different practice sizes, which helped us to get a bit more of a holistic view of the experiences of migrants during the pandemic. Yeah. So let's go straight on to the findings. What did you what did you unearth? Well, I mean, I think I'd say that the headline is that we found that digitalisation of services during the pandemic has really widened the inequities that were already there for migrant patients in accessing primary care. 
I mean, that is firstly because of lack of access to technology, perhaps not surprisingly, but also problems with actually how to use it um, and also a sort of compounding of the existing language barriers. I mean, one of our uh, migrant participants described a situation, I think, familiar to many of us, where in order to register at the GP, she had to download a form, sign it, scan it and send it back again. And she said she didn't have a scanner, didn't have a printer, wasn't sure how to do an electronic signature. And whilst these sorts of features of a digitalized system are things that we may experience day to day and as a hassle, I think it's really important that we remember for some patients it's actually impossible and, and a real barrier to the health service. Um, and in fact, some of the patients um, and, and practices in our study did report that they had reduced attendances and migrants um, didn't necessarily register as much during the pandemic. Of course, we know there are other problems with the virtual consultations as well. So a lot of the clinicians were concerned about challenges in building trust and um, also things around safeguarding and confidentiality issues. But the migrant patients were actually a bit more concerned about the physical closure of the surgeries and the fact that it was harder for them in some circumstances, some practices to get support from receptionists in doing forms or signposting to other services, screenings, opportunities, etc. I, I suppose my reflection on this is that really this is an example of um, indirect discrimination, um, you know, in which a universal policy is unfortunately impacting on one group more than others. Um, and although that's understandable on one level with sort of speed in which the practices had to adapt to the pandemic um, and bring in a new system. I think it's really important we reflect on the implications of that now and not only seek to redress them, but also to engage specifically with migrants to understand what their needs are and make sure we're meeting them in primary care. Yeah. So that you mentioned indirect discrimination was one of the, the themes that you came out with. You mentioned the trust, authority and information area as well. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, trust certainly was a real concern for a lot of our participants. And I think this builds on the sort of hostile environment that we've mentioned. One of our practice nurses talked about feeling that the patients she was engaging with were worried about being shopped in uh, to the immigration police. Um, and migrant patients themselves had some concerns um, as well about whether they could actually trust their GP one said actually she felt that social media, a, a, a sort of speaking group specifically for um, others from her country, was much more relied upon by her friends and contemporaries. And she said even though some had been in the country for 16 years, they wouldn't trust their GP. So that was a real take home, unfortunately, from, from our study. Yeah. So let's go on to a little bit of, sort of opportunity solutions. What do you think we can do differently here? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of learning from the study. I mean, firstly, around harnessing the opportunities that digitalisation offers. It's, it's not all bad. Um, and we certainly asked our participants what their ideas were about how, how things could be improved. And they mentioned some really great ideas around use of YouTube for um, targeted healthcare advice, um, translated text in the patient's own language, for example, inviting for screening or things like that. Um, and also the idea of virtual group online consultations using an interpreter, which I think are some really um, great solutions that merit further exploration. Um, there were other solutions as well, I think, around really engaging with migrant groups themselves locally. Um, and this has been a really important angle during uh, the COVID pandemic to really understand the lived experience of our, our practice population um, and to work with local leaders to try to access information channels, um, informal information channels like WhatsApp um, to target any misinformation that's circulating there. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, I think we talk about migrants, but of course, they're not just one homogenous group and someone comes in with a big migrant sticker on their head and you know that they're a migrant. They're going to come from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different cultural kind of influences. And as you say, speaking to one of our questions was going to be where should people go to get, you know, if you want to try to make your services better for migrants, but you perhaps have started to answer it there that you need to engage with the local community, speak to local leaders might be a really good option. Absolutely. And I think that can't really be emphasised enough, because as you say, this is a really diverse population group we're talking about here. In the Migrant Health Research Group, we say anyone who's foreign born, so that could be students, you know, people who've moved for work, um, or more vulnerable migrants with asylum seekers or refugees, for example. Um, So I do think it's important to be aware of that diversity. And we actually did a follow on study specifically looking at the more vulnerable migrants um, and their perspectives on vaccine hesitancy. But I think as well as um, engaging with the migrants themselves, there are some great resources out there. Um, examples from Doctors of the World, their Safe Surgeries Initiative. I think, you know, I'd love to see that really widely implemented. It's a, a programme where surgeries can sign up and say, we're going to try to remove those barriers to access for migrants. Even simple things like needing to show ID when you're registering. Um, and they've even got a toolkit specifically around the pandemic and how we can support migrant patients in that setting. So I certainly really encourage that for practices. Um, well, I can make sure I put a link in the show notes as well for this episode so that people can find that nice and easily if they want to go do things. So um, let me ask one thing first before we go on to get a little bit of a summary of it. What if you could do? What what would you get practice to do differently? If there was one or two things, what would you really? And someone said, "What can I do to get my practice more yeah. migrant friendly or more, you know, to improve access to services?" What would be your yeah. kind of? What would be the obvious things you would? What would be the the key message you would point out? Hmm. I mean, I think the starter for ten is: Do we actually know if we have migrants in our practice? It sounds obvious, but I think there is a thing here around effectively coding the backgrounds that our patients come from. And then I think it is about engaging specifically with those groups, knowing who they are and what their needs are, um, and trying to do that in more of a systematic manner than we manage to at a lot of levels. So that might be thinking about sending out that text in the specific language that a lot of our patients have. Um, it might be around trying to bring in an integrated screening program for infectious disease. Um, so actually, that's something we're looking at at the Migrant Health Research Group is how can we have digital prompts to help us to do that more systematically? Um, and it might be around also addressing some of those more hostile factors. So having something you know in the practice window, even saying that you are welcome at this practice and making it really clear um, what it involves being uh, visiting NHS services and seeking care um, just to make things easier. I think it's really great when practices send out flyers or have a welcome to the NHS information leaflet as well, because it is really complicated if you come from another country where you don't have that experience with the NHS. Felicity, that's incredibly helpful. I'm, I'm not going to get you summarised because I think that's a beautiful summary of some of the key messages and action points that people can take away to their practices. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.